the ghosting actually began on Valentine's Day. Oh my god! And the whole Valentine's Day, everyone was like, "Oh, like you know, what are you guys doing? Is oh, he gonna no. take you on a date or even like text you Happy Valentine's Day?" And I was just like, oh. "It was the kind of anxiety that." just like pulses through you all day. Like I was like, mm-hmm. I can feel that anxiety right now, like six years <sighs> later. Like I can feel it for <laughs> you. Welcome back for another episode of Interstates and Heartbreak. Jenna, I'm really excited to welcome you to the podcast today. And I just wanted to dive in and introduce you because you have so many accolades to cover. So today's guest is Jenna Langbaum. She's a creative director. She's a copywriter, a poet. She's developed her own original play back in 2016 titled The Night of Blue and Salt. And that rightly earned her the reputation as a force to be reckoned with. So clearly someone that is going to bring a lot to today's interview. And today we're specifically here to discuss her book, Me in Search of You. It's a collection that encapsulates the real everyday moments that stand out in the dating process. So basically everything ranging from a first date, a first kiss, and then even realizing that the one that you thought was the one is actually not. Jenna, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. Yes, I'm really excited to have you. And I know I told you this before, but I love your book. And it's really the perfect fit for this podcast because I've really just been kind of positioning Interstates and Heartbreak as focusing on the unglamorous side of dating in Los Angeles. And I feel like your book really captures the unglamorous side of first dates, whether they be through setups or through online dating in New York. And it's in the most perfect and entertaining way possible. So this was just a match made in heaven. I am so in agreement. I'm so excited to be here. And I really feel like we're going to have a lot to discuss. Oh, yes, we definitely will. (laughs) (laughs) And I feel like part of the reason why we both have a lot to discuss is like famously living in New York and LA. There's so much content out there about dating and coming of age in our respective cities. So for New York, it's like, you have sex in the city, you have girls, you have friends, you have like Gossip Girl. And there's so many more. Those are just like the ones that came to my mind. It's like, oh, I've watched all of these. I've like consumed this content religiously. And it's to the point where Hollywood is even like, oh, you know, there's actually more to tap into here. So we're going to remake three out of four of these shows just in the past few years. But I feel like with anything, you know, like there's dramatization and some inaccuracies. And so I'd love to hear your perspective as the New Yorker of like, what the media gets right and gets wrong about dating and relationships in New York. I love that you brought this up because it was probably one of the real, really important reasons why I wrote this book. I'm obsessed with all of the shows that you mentioned. I'm a huge, I'm like a Sex and the City, like fanatic, like watched it thousands of times. And the other shows I'm a huge fan of as well. And I do think there is something about New York City that is just like so romantic and exhilarating. And, you know, everybody wants to be in the movie of the New York love story. And I know that even as I thought about my life when I was younger, I always sort of like had that picture in my head of like moving to New York and dating and all that jazz. But 
I would say that all of the shows that you mentioned really capture like one specific niche sort of kind of dating. So for example, like Girls is amazing. I loved it. And I actually just recently rewatched it and it really stands the test of time. But it sort of has this eclectic, almost like Brooklyn dating vibe of a very kind of specific group of people. And it's an amazing show, but was not at all sort of like representative of my own experience. And also like Sex in the City kind of focuses on this like 30 plus woman, also like a highly glamorized take on what it's like to date. And what I found like with sort of all of these shows is that they were sort of missing the voice of just an average 20-something person that lands here after college, who doesn't make a lot of money, who lives in an apartment with fake walls, who goes to Forever 21, who is just like giving it a whirl. And I'm not on any, I would say like my narrative voice is like not on any spectrum of extreme. (laughs) And I just felt like I was not watching or reading that at all. I also felt like when it comes to online dating, that sort of narrative has been missing in a lot of instances. More recently, you start to see things coming out. Like I love Insecure, even though that's not a... Yes, I was going to bring that up. (laughs) Yeah, I love Insecure so much. And I think they do a good job like portraying online dating accurately. But I did really want to kind of showcase all of the, let's say like less glamorous kind of take on New York City because I wanted to live in like You've Got Mail and and (laughs) When Harry Met Sally and all those movies, but I live in a very different world. And I just feel like that voice was not getting heard all that much. So I love New York City so much. And I think certain aspects are represented well. Like Mm -hmm. I have sort of had those nights that like a Carrie Bradshaw kind of night where you're like, (laughs) hop in the cab and then you like are off and you mm-hmm. like end up in a place you didn't expect. And maybe you like meet a cute stranger, but then you never hear from him. Oh like, my God. All of a yeah. Sudden, like Carrie is like all of a sudden, like going out to dinner with him and then he's calling her all the time. And it's like, that would not be the case. Oh, like I, I would meet him. I'd get his number. I'd text him and then probably never hear from him again. Mm-hmm. That's another thing I always think about is like in the TV shows, they just like magically go on dates. It's like, who texted yes. who? How did that go down? Like, yeah. yeah. Oh, you didn't have to wait for like a week <laughs> to hear from this person and then like lose their number and delete it because you thought that they were <laughs> never going to text you at all. Like, no, that's never portrayed. Exactly. Yeah. I'm so glad that you brought up Insecure to your point because I do feel like it's very difficult, I think, for shows to capture what it's like to online date because there are so many like awkward things that aren't going to play out well on screen they do an amazing job of it. Like I actually started watching it right after I had gotten out of a long-term relationship and I was on the apps at like 27 and I was like, this is so new. And I watched season two without giving anything away. They really, in the like pilot of that season, nailed it. I was like, yes, I feel so seen, but also so triggered right now. (laughs) (laughs) I completely agree. It's like really, I think it's hard to, like you said, like capture the nuances of like a phone like showcasing all of the awkward like pauses and dynamics that happen. So it's just crazy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I also love that you brought up like meeting people in person. It is really fun and exciting in the moment. But to your point, I was reflecting recently on like, okay, when I was single and I would meet guys out, I would have some good stories of like, oh, like he had this good line. We had this great chemistry. 
I only went on like one date with someone who I met out. Like it never really panned out to anything serious. And another show I wanted to bring up, if you've seen it, did you watch Love Life on HBO? It came out last year. Obsessed. Obsessed with Love Life. I haven't watched the second season yet, but I was obsessed with it. I haven't either. I loved season one. I kind of went into it being like, okay, like we'll see. This could be really cheesy. I think they did an amazing job. The one thing I will say is that every guy she met was like in love with her immediately. And I was like, I don't know what that experience is like. But (laughs) aside from that, it was so well done. I completely agree about that point. I like the only one that wasn't so in love with her was maybe like her boss. Yes, true, true. But everyone, but everyone, but he was like obviously so dysfunctional, but (laughs) everyone else was obsessed with her, which is tough to wrap your head around. And of course she gets like the best guy at the end. Oh my God. Amazing. Yeah. It's just like, even the fact that even her boss who was not emotionally available really was like, yeah, I'll be in a relationship with you. It's like, if that were real life, you would have that guy be like, we'll see. I just got divorced and like maybe in a year or so, but no, I do think it really captured it all so well. And so I think that is like one example of how media is getting better, but like there are definitely gaps. And so I feel like that's where your book comes in and fills in all of the gaps around like what's realistic versus what's unrealistic. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you saying that. And you know, I hope to see me in search of you on Netflix one day. But you know, a girl can oh my God, I could a hundred percent see that. Yeah. And I feel like we're just like building it up so much. So for the listeners, I have to give like a sample of what the book is like. And so I feel like it was really hard to choose just one passage. And so for all the listeners, highly recommend getting it. Every page is like a different, I wouldn't even call it like a short story. It's like an excerpt of your dating life, but it weaves together into this narrative. And like, as you read page to page, you really get a sense of who Jenna is and what her experience has been like. And you really get more insight into like the types of men that she's meeting. And some men become recurring characters. I'll get to one later that actually made me laugh out loud when his name was said the second time in the book. I was like, oh my God, he's back. (laughs) But as I was kind of like, okay, which one should I choose? I came across this one and we are recording on the Monday after Thanksgiving. So I was like, this is a sign. So it's titled, I Undressed, and it starts and it says, I drank margaritas with a friend the Monday after Thanksgiving in the middle of the day. Sharp, cheap tequila drifting through me at a dive bar outfitted in polyester mermaids and netting. We laughed loudly at the pirate bartender, and I saw the beginnings of what I could be without the dark wool cloak of us sagging on my back. It was then I decided to unbutton you, take off the cloak, and shove it in the back of my closet. I mean, that's so poetic and amazing. I'm like, how do you even begin to weave this together in such a beautiful way? Oh, that's so sweet. It's like such a surreal experience hearing you read it. Um, Truly, it's amazing. Like, just as my own aside. (laughs) But yeah, that one was discussing a breakup, like just as it was like coming into fruition. And just that feeling of like, when you finally get that moment in your head, that's like, okay, I've been thinking about it, but now I'm actually going to do it because I'm sort of seeing what the other side could look like. And it's a lot better than what's happening right now, Mm -hmm. which is an important step to actually get to the breakup. Because especially with something like the relationship discussed in the beginning of the book, it just was one of those, like it was really dragging on, dragging on, dragging on because there was like a lot of love and also a, a fear, I think, of 
beginning again, even though at that point I was 20, 22. So I don't know really what I was Mm -hmm. so afraid of, but I think it's also (laughs) like, I think the idea of dating in New York was very daunting to me at the time Mm -hmm. and having the sort of like safe college boyfriend was much more appealing and, you know, it was hard to cut that cord. So that was really like, that was a true moment where I like took the Monday off of Thanksgiving with one of my friends. And then there we go. There I was. Wow. Yeah. That is really a powerful way that you captured it because it is such a difficult decision to leave the comfort of a relationship. Even if you do feel like you're starting to outgrow each other, or if it's not meeting your needs anymore, I feel like everyone always talks about, and not even in the vein of relationships all the time, but people are always talking about a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. And so then it's easy to apply that to relationships and be like, well, how do I know there's anything better out there? And so I do think it takes a lot of grappling to kind of come to terms with the fact that it's better for you to take a risk and find someone who's a better fit than to stay in something that might just be mediocre at best. Yeah, totally. It It's so crazy how like that changes throughout your 20s. So I had that breakup like right, like a year after college, I would say. And then I had a breakup like later in my 20s where I was 27 when we broke up. And it was such a different feeling. It was maybe a little bit more mature in some ways. Like I was a lot more mature, but it was like a darker, like darker way out because you're much, I was much more serious with this person. So Mm -hmm. it was hard to wrap my head around. I thought that I had gotten to like the end of the rope here and like, it's, I don't know how we got here and all those emotions. So I think it's always like an ever changing process, figuring out like when the breakup is the right thing. Yeah, very true. And I, to reference again, like the breakup I went through when I was 27, it wasn't that I was like, Oh, this person is my forever, but I think it was extra scary just to be like, oh my God, I'm 27, which 27 isn't old. But I think when you're in the moment, you're like, wow, I can't believe now I'm single at 27, especially if you're at an age where maybe a lot of your other good friends are in serious long-term relationships. Totally. Absolutely. I I totally feel you. Let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) So it's really great context to hear that you were 22 when you were going through this breakup. I didn't realize that's the age that this took place. And First of all, I just have to say even more impressive that you were so reflective and poignant at that age. And I also had to ask, like, what inspired you to begin capturing these dating experiences in the first place? Like, when did that process begin? So I've always been someone who is working on like writing. And I just, you know, whether it's like at one point I was going to like write a book of poems, maybe I was going to like write a a novel. I never knew what it was going to be, but I always like ever since college was like compiling writing. So I think throughout my time dating, I would try and write things not knowing what they would end up being. So I probably didn't write the one that you just read when I was 22, but I might've written it at some random point throughout 22 to 26, maybe. Mm -hmm. And so I just, I would always be writing, but I never knew what it was going to be. And then I was sort of like at this point in my career where I was working this job that was had crazy hours. It would be like, I work in PR as a creative director and the hours were really crazy. And I remember just like being at work one day at like 2 a.m. Oh my gosh. And like sitting at my desk and being like, 
you need to do something else Mm -hmm. that is going to make you happy. And I started like looking through my Google Docs and being like, I'm going to write a book. And I was going to like make it an Instagram first, or I didn't know what it was going to be. But then I was like, no, I'm going to sit down and like maneuver all of these pieces of writing into being a book. And it's going to be about dating. And I wanted to start with my college relationship because I think it's just everyone always says to you when you're in high school, like, you better be ready for college. It's such an important time in your life, blah, blah, blah. But then no one really talks about that time right when you graduate. And it's like crazy. Like you're all over the place. Everyone's all over the place. You either have your first job or you don't. And you're navigating like different friend dynamics and and all that. And I I remember that time being so precarious. Mm -hmm. And so I really wanted to start with that time because I think I had a really like beautiful, almost like, naive college experience, maybe Mm -hmm. where I just like went to a liberal arts school in upstate New York. And I wanted to show the transition into being in your 20s and and figuring all of that out. And so anyway, I, I sort of was like, okay, I'm going to compile this into a book. And then it took me probably about a year to compile and probably write additional things that were then woven together into this book. Okay. A year is like no time at all. That's so impressive. (laughs) Thank you. I mean, the writing, some, like some of the writing was done when I was like 22. And Mm -hmm. so it's like the writing itself, like was probably mostly done. And it took me about a year to maneuver it into the storyline. It was really hard too, because I didn't know what the arc was going to be because I was sort of like still living it. Mm-hmm. So it was like, where are we going to end up? I don't know. Like, yeah, it, yeah. wow. It wasn't because I think like you always expect that the end is going to be. And then she met the one and <laughs> yeah, like, it's yeah. so great and whatever. And it was all worth it. And I, as I was finishing the book, started seeing someone, but it wasn't a full fledged relationship. But I was like, I think it should end with the start of something promising. And then that's it. Like, We don't get to find out if it works out or not because... It's like a written love life. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, when I saw Love Life, I was like, this is pretty much this, so... (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's really, really powerful. And yeah, I think that there's a lot that, that resonates with me, I guess I'll say, just, you know, having that corporate job, kind of entertainment related, and then figuring like, you know, I do want this passion project and like choosing something that's so personal to your day-to-day life. I feel like it's scary, but like very rewarding at the same time. Yes. I was definitely afraid at first to put myself out there in this way, but I do think that having a legitimate publisher and like an agent and, and everything like backing me gave me the confidence to be like, no, this is a legitimate thing that you should be proud of and put yourself out there. And to be honest, it all happened really fast for me. Like I wrote the book and then I was lucky enough to sort of like get an agent and a publisher, like all in the span of like a few months. Oh wow! So I never really had the time to think about like, can you actually handle if this gets published and everyone's yeah. reading like your innermost thoughts? I was like, we're doing it. We're going forward. It has to happen. So yeah. And it's more like now that I'm like, oh my God, like <laughs> everybody knows what I, what has, you know, happened to me for the past <laughs> seven years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I 
not to the same degree, because I feel like, you know, your book is like very, very personal and tells a lot of intricate details about the stories of that you went through when you were dating. But I feel like I kind of had a similar moment with the podcast before I released it. And my friend said something that was honestly like, oh, that's a great argument. I released my podcast during the pandemic. And I was like, I don't know, like, what if everyone hates it? And she was like, well, they won't, first of all. But if they do, you don't even have to see them for who knows how long. You're not seeing anyone. I was like, you're right. This is the best time. I don't even have to look anyone in the eye. That's amazing and so true. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to ask about how you kind of revealed these poems that you created and like the documentation of your dates when you were on actual dates. Because I feel like as you're reading the book, it becomes clear that this comes up with certain men who you're dating either because it's like maybe in your dating profile that you write poetry, or maybe it was a setup and someone mentioned this as a characteristic about you. So how was it to kind of reveal that you had this hobby and this interest and what kind of reactions did you get from men? So before the book, I worked on this project with my friend who's a watercolor artist. And it was like my poems and her art together. And we created prints and we sold them. And then we also had a gallery show and an Instagram. And so when I would go on a date with someone, not it wasn't necessarily the first thing I would tell them. But if they asked about my job... I would tell them. And then oftentimes I I would then be like, I also have this sort of like side hustle that I do mm-hmm. with my friend. And I mean, the reactions were all over the place as you saw in the book. Yes. <laughs> Some people were, you know, super enthusiastic about it and, and nice about it. Some people just pretended like I didn't even say that and were like, I can't even like process how weird this is. Like, I'm not even gonna. So and then some people were like, this is weird. I don't think this is normal. Like I thought that you were not this artsy or all kinds of things said to me. And it made me feel a little coy, let's say about (laughs) the book, but I've actually sort of had the opposite reaction since the book has come out. Cause I think it's like a really legitimate Mm-hmm. medium and like platform now. So I think there's some le- like legitimacy in getting actually published that I think sort of like takes away from the like stereotypical, like weirdness of writing poems. So yeah, right now it has been every person I've told about it has been like super excited or interested in it, which has been nice. But I think also like a 23-year-old dating 23-year-old men. Like, I don't want to, to generalize, but I would say a lot of them were just like, this is above and beyond <laughs> what I could have expected from you. Yeah, And that's fine. Like, it all ended up being people that I didn't end up really going out with. So mm-hmm. now I look at it very much like my dream came true. I've always wanted to write a book. Mm-hmm. I always wanted to write something like romantic related. And it's my dream. So if you're not into that, then we're not suited. Like this is, that's really it. So that's where we're at now with it. I love that. And I can totally understand that. Of course, now that you're a published author, people are like, oh my God, that's amazing. But it's kind of shitty that it required that for people to take it seriously, because it's a really, really cool endeavor and like passion project that you're working on, regardless of if it's published or not. But human nature. So I'm not surprised that people's (laughs) reactions shifted over time like that. But yeah, I do feel like it's also kind of a good litmus test to see how people react. And like maybe some of the guys who are 
nervous about the fact that you record this might be like, oh my God, like what if I behave shittily? And then it like turns into a poem. I mean, so there was a window of time where I was on Hinge and Bumble where the book had just been released and I didn't have it in my profile, but I think if I was far enough along in a conversation with someone, they would like Google me, I guess, and Mm -hmm. find it. And then they'd be like, oh, are you going to write about me? Like, what are you going to write about me? And I'm like, I don't even know you. Like, this conversation isn't going in the book. There's (laughs) nothing to say. You've got nothing. Like, get over yourself. Yeah. Totally. Oh my gosh. So I didn't really have to deal with that too much with the podcast because like I yeah. dated some people when it launched, but none of them really got far enough along. Either they didn't Google me. I mean, it probably like, didn't come up. Like I had like a few episodes <laughs> out, you know? Yeah. And then when I started dating my boyfriend, like he met me when I was talking about the podcast. So there wasn't this big reveal of like, by the way, but I did have someone who I went on a date with like right before the pandemic started DM me. We weren't following each other. So it was like in my message requests folder. And he's like, am I going to make it into an episode of the podcast? And it was like, not even that long ago, but we went on one date. I was like, who is this? Like, I didn't recognize <laughs> them from the thumbnail. And so I just saw their first name. So I like went through all my old texts and I was like, oh my God, it's this guy. But the funny <laughs> thing is he did make it into an episode of the oh podcast. And it wasn't a big story. It was something... I'll just retell it very quickly here. But I just like talked about how I went on a date with this guy and there were some things that were off. And like I just wasn't feeling it. This wasn't the deal breaker. But I was like, yeah, like just talking to one of my best friends. I was like... And we went to Mexican food and like split a quesadilla or something. And then he like took home the tortilla chips in a to-go bag. I thought that was weird. weird. And I was texting my mom about it. And immediately she was like, was it the guy who took home the tortilla chips? And I was like... (laughs) How did you know it was actually that guy? <laughs> I'm dying. They always know. I know. I was like, wow, that was a throwback to you. That was like my sixth episode that I mentioned that. That is amazing that your mom knew. I like, know. That kills me. <laughs> I think it's a little strange to bring home the chips. Yeah. Like that alone, it wouldn't have been a deal breaker. Like if it were a great date, I would have been, I don't even think I would have noticed it or like thought right. to mention that detail. It was just like, it wasn't a great date. And then I thought that was a little weird, but whatever. my gosh oh god so as you began documenting these dates like what types of lessons did it reveal to you like did you start to notice any sort of patterns over time did it make you more introspective about things like I imagine it unearthed some things that you might not have kind of been aware of had you not been so reflective about it for sure I think that at one point I had written out I tried to write out like the names of every person I'd ever gone on a date with to try and like figure out what I was writing about and to see if there was sort of like any art that was sort of naturally happening. And so it really did make me think a lot about the dating apps, I think, because I would have never gone on as many dates as I did had I not had the dating apps. And I think it's so interesting, Mm -hmm. like, how much that has changed. So how much the dating culture has really changed because of that, because there's just such a quantity of dates you can go on. At any given second, you could go on a date, Mm -hmm. given the right match, et cetera, et cetera. (laughs) But it's quite easy to procure a date these days with the dating apps. And so I think what I thought a lot about was, do I actually want to be going on these dates? Or am I sort of filling a void or looking for validation from one of the other 
sort of rejections or dates that I had been on. And I also really felt like I really felt like I wasn't always being myself um, as hard as it is to admit that because I feel like I have a strong sense of self. But I really I went through so many patterns of rejection that I just sort of at certain points was like, I just want someone to like me so that this can end which is obviously not a great way of thinking and never resulted in a lasting relationship. So I think those were some of my big takeaways. A lot of it having to do with just like how I treated the dating apps as almost like another app, like Seamless or Uber or something Mm -hmm. where I could literally make that happen if I wanted it to happen. Yeah, And I think sometimes quantity is not always the best method. Mm-hmm. I think it's great to go on dates in your early 20s and really have fun and see who you like and explore that the dynamic of going on a date. I think going on a date is a really fun thing. And it's also a way to, I think, explore your confidence and how you interact with people. So like I always tell my friends who don't love to go on dates, I'm like, I mean, it's literally practice for meeting your next boyfriend. Like, Mm -hmm. it's like, give it a whirl. Why not? And it it definitely, as it caused a lot of probably like trust issues around dating in some ways, a lot of my experiences, it also gave me a much bigger, like, I don't care attitude. Like, I'll give anything a try. I'll give it a whirl. Like, we got to keep going. (laughs) I would say that's sort of like stuck with me after all of the dates that I went on. Yeah. It's like the show must go on in a sense. Yeah. Yeah, And it, over time, whether it's me being jaded or maybe just being a little bit more thick skinned, you don't have the same reaction of despair. You get a lot more like, okay, Mm -hmm. that didn't work out. I'm going to go on a date next week and whatever. Like, yeah, you kind of move on in this way that feels maybe like less affected, which I think I could have used that in the beginning. I was devastated the first time I was ghosted. I was oh my gosh, yeah. absolutely <laughs> blown apart when I was ghosted. So it definitely changed over the years. Yeah, like nothing can prepare you for being ghosted other than being ghosted. It's like right. an unfathomable thing. I feel like I even remember when I was fresh out of college, which to your point, circling back, I feel like that is such a weird time in general. It's like the first time in your life that you don't know exactly what's going to happen to you for a set period of time. And so now you're like, oh, I have all this uncertainty and I'm trying to date. And I remember the first time a guy asked for my like number at a bar, I was like, oh my God, I'm so excited to go on a date with him. And then surprise, surprise, we never went on a date. It was like, he texted me like once or twice. And I was like, what? But like, he was (laughs) so into me. And I just (laughs) couldn't fathom that like someone who would go out of their way to approach me wouldn't follow up. I mean, it doesn't make sense. I will agree with you. It doesn't make sense. No, it really doesn't. But yeah, it's like after a while, you're like, okay, like you kind of lower your expectations, which I feel like can be unhealthy if it gets to a certain point to where, like you said, you become jaded. But Mm -hmm. it's still important to like have that sense of realism and like not assume that everything is going to end as like this fairy tale. So I think that's important to develop. And I feel like also to your point about going on a lot of dates and I think that it's such a delicate balance because it is kind of a numbers game. You do want to get practice so that you're not like putting so much emphasis on every date and getting so nervous beforehand. But as I've talked about on this podcast before, and as I know you kind of alluded to, 
dating burnout is such a real thing. And I definitely experienced it. And I guess, was there ever a time when you were kind of looking through your recaps and like reading a tone that told you that you might be going through dating burnout? And like, what did that look like for you? Oh, yes, for sure. There was like a patch of time. I don't even know what I couldn't tell you what it was. But I had been seeing someone he's we sort of like, faded out, like no big dramatic thing, but we had like faded out. I was pretty disappointed. And then I like got set up with someone. I went out with him. I didn't like really like him. And then I ended up going on like a dating app date a week for like a month. And at the end of that, I remember being like really like anxious and like sad all the time. And I was like, I couldn't really figure out what it was. And then I just was like, I think you're just swirling a little bit. And you're not really like thinking about what you're doing at all. And at that point, I, I just kept thinking in my head, like all the magic of like meeting someone was just gone. It was like, I couldn't have met someone even if I wanted to, because I was so spun around from all of these people that weren't working out. And it wasn't even the worst rejection time or anything like that. It was more like just too much. It was just too many people. And I was trying to cover up like rejection with like meeting more people. And yeah, I would say that was a time in my life. I would say I was maybe like 25 and I've come on sort of the other side of this, but there were certain points throughout my twenties where it's hard seeing all of your friends have significant others and tagging along with them and you being sort of that like quintessential, like single girl, like cabaret show. Every time you go out, you like tell the dating stories and Sometimes I'm really in the mood for it and it's really fun. And then a lot of the time, I would say when I was more insecure, I would feel like you're like the performing monkey and like, it's like this whole situation. So I would say that I definitely experienced dating burnout. And after my last breakup, I was much more selective in like actually deciding to get to the date with someone. I was like, let's just not go on first dates with people that are kind of cute, but already said something weird. And like, yeah, we're pretending that didn't happen. Like I was Mm -hmm. like, let's go on a date with someone who seems like a good enough match from what we know. Yes. A hundred percent. It's like, instead of overlooking those red flags, it's like, you can trust your gut. Like there will be plenty of people to go out with and you don't need to go out with this one person. It's not like the 1920s. And it's like, well, there are only five eligible men in my town. It's <laughs> yes, like, exactly. no, it's not the case. I think the gamification of dating apps too makes it like a little tricky in your head. Cause you're like, well, right now he's at my best pick. Yeah. So even if he does anything weird, I'm like, well, he's sort of the best one out of the litter right now. Like, and everyone, like, it sounds terrible, but that's truly what it, I think <laughs> it they're is. not real people until they're all of a sudden with you. Like, it's really true. Like, oh my God, you're so It's just like a video game almost. And then you meet them and you're like, oh my God, what what is going on? (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah, it truly is like a roster. It's like fantasy football. Like, hey, this is the only like running back I have this week. So, all right, we're going to start him. (laughs) Totally. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I I love that you kind of gave the cabaret performance analogy because I described it as like, I felt like a sad clown sometimes, whereas all my friends were like, oh my God, your stories are so funny. And I'm like, it's funny, but I'm also like living them. And I'm not like trying to blame them. Like no one made me feel shitty intentionally. And like, yeah, I would bring up these stories because I'm like, this is ridiculous. And I at least need to be able to laugh about it. 
but it can get to a point where it is like, all right, like, I don't want to be the only one with like these lame stories to tell. Yeah. And I think it's all about like, I feel like now I'm a lot more secure with like, I think once you've had like sort of the later 20s breakup where it was like much more intense and like painful and like didn't end up being the right person, you're like, okay, I would rather be single than be in the wrong relationship. And I can now really like digest all of those facts. So I feel less like that now, 100%. But I would say back then I was the one with all the stories. And that was part of it. I mean, I do have good stories. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, great content. (laughs) Yeah. So I feel like you kind of referenced how you evolved your dating style from your early 20s throughout your later 20s. And so I remember that in one of the stories, you referenced your last Tinder date. And so I wanted to ask, like, did you kind of retire Tinder as a dating platform? Because you're like, I've grown out of this. Was there like, maybe one crazy story that wrote off the whole app for you or maybe like a combination of both? So the Tinder date in the book is the only one I've ever been on. I was only on it for, I don't know, you know, like a week maybe. Okay. And it, it always, it happened often where, you know, someone at work or someone, one of my friends would literally like come up to me and be like, you have to go on the league or you have mm. to go on Tinder. I swear. Like, it's not like... And I would go on and I'd be like, okay, yeah, you're right. I'll, I'll give it a whirl. Mm-hmm. I would say like Bumble and Hinge, I was always on like steady drum beat mm-hmm. of those two. And then I, I did a bunch of the different ones on the side. And the Tinder date that I went on was just not good. Like it was just, it wasn't even like a catfishing situation or anything. It was just like, I feel like he needed to vent to someone and it was me and that was that and it really had nothing to do with Tinder. That was so sad. I know that was really a tough one. And, but yeah, no, I, after that, I just remember being like, I'm not really like meeting anyone that seems to be quite right. So I would say in my early twenties, I swiped a lot and I would go on a lot of dates and I would like, we were talking about like probably ignore some things that I thought were weird from the start just to sort of like have the thrill of like going on the date, et cetera, et cetera. And I definitely looked at it like in a way, like this is going to be like an adventure rather than I don't even know that I wanted a boyfriend like throughout all of those years. Like I think if a boyfriend that was right, walked up to me and was like, all right, Mm -hmm. I'm here. I'd be like, I don't know what to do with (laughs) you. And so I think that was something I wouldn't have admitted, but I do think that was the case. And then when I finally felt like I wanted one, it did work out. But in my later 20s, I would say like I used the dating apps and like just a different mentality. I will also say like, I look at it a lot differently after my last relationship where Mm -hmm. I'm less particular about the checklist of like, has to be this, has to be this, has to be this, has to be, you know, from this kind of job, this, this, like this height, blah, blah, blah. I like really got rid of a lot of that. And I just try to focus now on like the person, et cetera, et cetera. And I would say like the person that I'm seeing now is just like, not my typical type Mm. in any way. And it's probably like the best dynamic I've had. So it's great, but It's just fascinating for sure. And I I think it's like letting go of your expectations. Mm -hmm. I love that so much. Wait, so how did you meet this person who you're currently seeing? So I actually met him in a bar. (laughs) 
Oh my gosh. I know. It's amazing. I met him in a bar, but we actually like, as we started chatting, it came to find out that we went to the same college. Oh, that's really cute. Yeah. Just about the same time. So, but yeah, I'm telling you, I've met people out, but I've never gone out with them. Yeah. (laughs) It's very elusive. Honestly, I'm so impressed when it happens. (laughs) I was like, there's no way that this is actually panning out. Like not from an app. It's just so crazy. Yeah. Crazy. That's really exciting. I'm very excited for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm excited. It's going great. And I hate more than anything on this earth. When people say like, it happens when you least expect it. Oh my God. Because I think I'm always expecting it on some level. Yeah. But I think it's more like it happens with who you least expect it. I like that. Yeah. You have to be open to the idea of a different scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'm so glad you brought that up. I hate when people say that too. The only time it happens when you least expect it is when you're watching a rom-com. I feel like that's what people are envisioning. It's like, oh, like I was emotionally unavailable and like this person just persisted and persisted or like I was at the grocery store and I ran into someone when I wasn't looking cute. It's like right. those things don't typically happen. It's like you do have to be somewhat intentional if you want a relationship to actually work out. I agree. I agree. And I think that I've been expecting it to happen since I was like seven years old. It's never going to go away. So yeah. 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 If it's a priority for you, then it's always going to be somewhat expected. So yeah. Crazy. I agree. So I kind of wanted to touch on the subject of like closure and breakups, because I feel like, you know, a lot of the journey that you are documenting throughout this, it's like a lot of things that don't necessarily work out, whether it be something serious or something that was just one date. And there was one line that stood out. And so for context, at the end of each of the stories, there's a nice like final statement and it kind of encapsulates like the experience that you're describing. And so in the very third story, you end with, it's hard to write about happy things. And that really stood out to me because I feel like it's kind of like the opposite of writing an ick list to help yourself get over an X. It's like, in addition to reliving the demise of your relationship, like you're also being very real about some of the like happier moments that like you did actually enjoy. And so I wanted to ask, how do you feel that process either sped or like impeded the process of kind of getting closure from this relationship? Yes. That's such an interesting question. So I think that we always want to write about, or we always want to think about the times that maybe weren't the most pleasant or the times we didn't get along or things we didn't like. But in order for the reader to have like an accurate picture of a relationship, I obviously had to show like some of the happier moments, but I always feel like it's so hard to make them feel like not cheesy and like actually genuine. Then I also feel like it's hard to think about those things, like especially probably at the time that I was writing it, I was probably single. And so I think that's a really hard thing to look back on and like dive back into. But I didn't want the book to be like such a negative, Mm -hmm. like, what was me dating in New York is so tough book because although it is, and I definitely get into that, I think that there are great moments. I mean, that's the whole thing about dating. It's like one minute you're up and the next you're down. And I really did want to show the good. And I think that was something I worked really hard on when I was putting it together was making sure there was like a cadence of emotions that was funny, happy, sad, angry, and like nostalgic, all the different feelings. 
And so with the sort of like bigger relationship in the book, it was definitely hard to write about the happier things. But what I also think is something that isn't talked about enough is like getting closure from little mini sagas where, you know, maybe we only went out on three dates or four dates, but, you know, having a connection with someone and then that maybe like ending or someone else ending it, you know, when you weren't wanting it to end, Mm -hmm. all of those dynamics like do take a toll on you and like slowly erode at your like confidence in finding someone. And I think that's also what this book is. I like feel like it's championing all of those mini sagas and like giving them light Mm -hmm. because a lot of like my friends or my family or whoever would be like, oh, what's going on with that guy? And, you know, they'd get the name wrong or (laughs) they'd mess up the timing or I'd have to tell them that it was over. And it just always felt like they didn't get like any respect almost. Mm. And I, they do affect you. I mean, I became this other person because of all of the mini sagas, not really because of my big relationship. So I feel like every person has to have closure from even those little situations. I completely agree. And going back to the topic of kind of getting ghosted, it was like, you know, you go through this first big breakup and then the first guy that you kind of recap in the book after the breakup takes place, it ends with them ghosting you. And I wanted to read another excerpt because I feel like this describes a feeling that like so many of us have encountered. And it says, and so it began the filth, the grit, the unitchable itch of knowing suddenly, sublimely, and fully that I would never hear from you again. And maybe I could be like reading into this incorrectly, but it seemed like, you know, based on your recaps of your time with this guy, you weren't like, oh, this is the one, you know, like this is my lifelong match. It was nothing like that, but it still hurts. And I feel like that kind of adds this like insult to injury where you're like, I didn't even want to be with you forever. And like, you made this decision and didn't even like, have the decency or like, give me a say in ending this, you just like cut it off. So it's crazy how much those things can hurt, even though they're kind of insignificant in the grand scheme of things. Totally. Absolutely. And I think that with this particular person, I was so fascinated with him because he was the first person I dated after the breakup. And like, as an adult type of person at that point, I don't, I wouldn't even Mm -hmm. classify myself as that, but (laughs) I really wanted him to like me. And I really wanted to be able to say to everyone, like, this guy really likes me and it's going so well. And like, he's almost my boyfriend. And I kept thinking I had like, wow, this is really working out for me. Like, I went through a breakup and now I've got this guy. And turns Mm -hmm. out like that was one of (laughs) 7,000. No, but um, I do remember being on like many dates with him as the book portrays where I was just thinking the whole time, like, I don't think that he likes me. And I think he thinks I'm stupid. And what I'm saying doesn't really matter to him. And we weren't a match at all. But I think the idea of him ghosting me and disappearing was so cruel, that it was like a bigger heartbreak than the breakup that I had just gone through, because I Mm -hmm. just couldn't believe that. I was so naive to think that he would even text me and end it with me. And the ghosting actually began on Valentine's Day. Oh my God. And the whole Valentine's Day, everyone was like, oh, like, you know, what are you guys doing? Is he going to take you on a date or even like text you happy Valentine's Day? And I was just like, it was the kind of anxiety that 
just like pulses through you all day. Like I was like, mm-hmm. I can feel that anxiety right now, like six years <sighs> later. Like I can feel it for <laughs> you. <laughs> and I remember being like, this is the side. I mean, he didn't, I asked him a question. I think like, when are we going to hang out this week? And he never answered it. That was it. Wow. And then I found out from stalking Instagram that he was actually like back with his ex-girlfriend throughout much of the time that we had dated. So my God, there wasn't anything I could do. You know, you don't know these things. It's not you. It's truly like, wow, it's not me. It's you. Oh my gosh. Yeah, no. And I do feel like that first time that you start to feel something for someone else, that is the hardest because for me, I personally feel like that's kind of what helps me move on from a breakup. Mm-hmm. It's like you have this moment where irrationally you feel like you're never going to meet anyone else who mm-hmm. makes you feel the same way. You're never going to meet someone who you like as much as you liked your ex, even if it was a toxic relationship. And yeah. so after I became single at 27, I remember I met this guy. It sounds like it was a little similar to your scenario where I was like, wow, I'm surprised that I met someone like kind of quickly after this breakup. And I was totally over the breakup, honestly, but I was like, yeah, I just haven't met someone I like yet. And I met this person in person at like a friend's birthday party. I only went on like four dates with him, but I was like, wow, like he's really great. Like this was such a surprise and he didn't ghost, but it was one of those like slow fades where I'm like, I texted him a couple of times and I was like, okay, the responses are kind of short. Like he's definitely not initiating anything. And then I remember I was like on a work trip and I like was drunk on the last night of this trip and I texted him. And after that, I was so embarrassed. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to delete his number because (laughs) I'm too embarrassed to ever like look at this conversation again. (laughs) Did you ever hear from him? No. I mean, he responded to that like drunk text, but I'm sure he was like, what the fuck is going on? (laughs) (laughs) And then I actually, the funny thing is I have run into him twice since then. Like, I ran into him at the bar that we met at at my friend's birthday party. And then this same friend had a birthday party again, like a year later. And so I saw him there and it was fine. Like it wasn't awkward or anything, but I mean, it just sucked in the moment, you know, because I was like, wow, we're going to start dating. This is so great. And then obviously, no, that didn't happen. And it's like the story in your head that you're writing as it's happening. You're like, Mm -hmm. wow, I met someone at a a friend's party and like Mm -hmm. after the breakup and, you know, it's going so well. Like maybe this is the whole story. Like I had to date the other guy to get here. And like, that's where we run into trouble. Yeah. The story really does matter too. Cause it was even like, the night that we met, it was like, we had a bonfire and my friend was like, so-and-so was asking about you. Like, he was like, I don't want to go to the bar if she's not going to be there. And I was like, me, like, that's so (laughs) sweet. And then it's like, it just fizzles after four dates. Like, okay, cool. But so it goes. It's so crazy. Yeah. So I would just love to hear as a closing, like some more about like your coping mechanisms and like how you feel that people who are going through breakups, whether it be like the love of their life or just someone who ghosted them, how they can cope with it. And also just kind of shedding light on the fact that it's really not a linear process and like how people can show grace to themselves if they feel like they're backsliding. Totally. So I would say that the best advice I could give like for a breakup is to not rush the heaviness of the emotions going away. So like I think that, you know, sometimes, I mean, I'm definitely this person where I just want it to go away immediately. Like I'm done. We got to go on. I want to get going. I want to go on a date. I want to meet the next person. 
And you have to unfortunately just like sit with it as long as you need to. And I, I still think you should, you know, if you want to go on a date, absolutely, or go out. But I think surround yourself with people who want to talk about it with you and who you can talk about it with, but then also people who you don't talk about it with. Because I think sometimes like a breakup can be all consuming and it's really helpful to have like pockets of time where you are not talking about it. And you're talking about, Mm, you know, the friend who just had a baby is like only talking about their baby. And it's nice to just like have an escape from that. And then you have your friends who you do talk about it with and you can like camp out with them and get into it if you need to and all that jazz. But I do think that there has to be a balance because it can be like a heaviness, but you can, that can be really consuming, but you can often make it worse with yourself when you talk about it 24 seven or blah, 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 blah. So Mm -hmm. I really feel like that's a good, that's a tip that I sort of realized myself as I was going through my last breakup. And I also think like, don't be surprised if you go through a new wave of thinking about it and understanding it when you're actually dating someone again. Mm -hmm. So I think that you're, it's not going to be like, okay, I cried for a week and now I'm done and it's never going to affect me again. Like there are still things from my last relationship that are playing out right now in my head and it like not necessarily linear, like you said, and it doesn't mean that you like are moving backwards or hung up or anything like that. It's literally like you're a human that went through something. And then Mm -hmm. as you're playing out that scenario with someone else, it's obviously going to reinvigorate emotions and things like that. So yeah, I think that's definitely what I would say. And I do think it helps to like write about it or to cry about it or like get it physically out of your system, like whatever way that works for you. So whether it's like exercising or writing or like talking about it, like it it needs to get out, I think. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I feel like I hate to gender too much. So I'll just say like, I've found that oftentimes it seems like in the beginning of a breakup in a heterosexual relationship, sometimes like the female might be dealing with it and like taking it a little bit harder, like more outwardly. I think to your point, like really just going through all the motions, like talking about it with like a support system. And sometimes you might have men who like don't deal with it right away. And then I feel like it kind of flips where the person who is more of a mess, quote unquote, in the beginning, kind of like ends up healthier in the end because it's like, they've processed all of this and it like sucked to go through it and you felt all the feelings and like had really low lows most likely. But the contrast is like, if you don't go through it, then it's going to manifest itself eventually. And probably when you least expect it and you've felt like you're totally healed because you just kind of like pushed it to the side, but you do need to address it head on. So I love that you gave that advice. Yeah, no, I totally feel that with the, with men and women going through it differently. It's yeah, it feels very true. I feel like that's why guys always come back too. Like, again, I know I'm like really generalizing, but I feel like it's a pattern where it's like, they're like, no, like this decision is done. And then they kind of like wipe their hands of it. And then they're like, oh, actually now I'm feeling all these things that I hadn't really taken the time to reflect on before. So let's revisit this. It's, they always come back and it's always right. Like when you're dating someone else. A hundred percent. I don't understand that superpower. It's wild. <laughs> it's crazy. I actually think about that all the time. Like it's, you have a sensor. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. There's like some network where they're all talking. <laughs> they're like, did you see like Jenna moved on? Like now's your chance. Slide into those yes. DMs. 
Totally. All right. Well, I wanted to end with a quick game. And Mm -hmm. so the game is Headache or Heartbreak. And so it's actually inspired by one of the stories in your book. And so I loved this story so much. And it's really just you kind of going through some of the strange things that you encountered in men's profiles during a Bumble swipe session. And so I thought it would be great to get your true opinion of whether this is a headache where it's like, okay, it's a little strange, but I'll still swipe right. Or if this is a heartbreak and you're like, I am immediately swiping left because of this. Got it. Ready to go. Okay. Okay. So the first one, and I alluded to this earlier, where like some of the men, they make recurring appearances. So their first name is Peep. And then I remember like Peep came up again in another story. I literally laughed out loud. (laughs) Literally the sound like a chick makes. And I just thought it was so funny that this person came up twice. (laughs) So is that a headache or is it a heartbreak? If they have the name Peep. Yes. So I think it's a headache. I think it should be a headache. But I feel like it's a nickname. Yeah. Just tell me your real name and then I can gut in on the nickname like once Mm -hmm. I know you. But I would say headache. Yeah, I completely agree. I'm like, honestly, I it might even make me swipe right more because I'm like, (laughs) I want to know the backstory to this. Right, right. Okay. So then one of the other scenarios was one of their photos is of them standing on a toilet headache or heartbreak heartbreak what are we doing like like, take it a little seriously (laughs) I also feel like I have this whole theory about the dating app photos and how you can really sense a person's like normalcy through the photos yes and I'm not saying that men pick the best photos it's less about if they're attractive oh yeah and more if the photo feels like they're normal Yes. It's like you don't take a photo standing on the toilet. (laughs) Like you don't like the poses like you can truly tell. And it's like Mm -hmm. not about who's cute. It's really about the normalcy. Yes, I agree. And I feel like controversial opinion or not controversial, but like some people disagree. I kind of like when guys have some group photos because as long as I can tell who you are, I also like to get a sense of like, okay, who are your friends? What are you and your friends doing? Are they normal? Because that's also telling. And also like that makes sense that you would take a big group photo with your friends. Like maybe you're on a trip or like at a dinner or something like that all feels good. That feels normal. You have a life like Mm -hmm. that feels good. Yeah. Better that that than like, oh, this is all selfies of me. One of which I'm standing on a toilet. (laughs) And like, there's nothing that I, this is a personal pet peeve, but I hate when men take selfies at their job, like at their cubicle. (laughs) I feel like I see this all the time. I used to see this all the time where it's like, you are at work. Can you at least go outside the building and have a coworker take it in the street? Like, don't do this. Yeah. It gives me like, okay, like I got to get this profile set up immediately. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, we have three minutes to set up this profile. Just do what you can. (laughs) Or the ones where you see like, they're in their house and they just did like, oh, I changed to a different button down shirt. And it's like the same facial expression (laughs) in the same portion of their house. I'm like, this is giving me actually low key serial killer vibes. It's actually, yes, it's off. (laughs) It's off and you know it and you can sense it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like so passionate about this. Like sometimes I used to want to swipe right on these people to be like, I can help you develop this profile. Yeah. Honestly, 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. I just want, I'm like, clearly these people either are not showing the profile to anyone <laughs> or all of their friends are just as misguided as they are. <laughs> oh my God. I'm dying. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So the next one, their grandma is in every photo in their profile. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I really don't like, I think this would be a heartbreak. I just feel like, again, this is weird. Why is grandma with me <laughs> Honestly, and I'm like, that's cute if you have one photo. But like, again, is this representative of like, <laughs> are you always with your grandma? Like you really have no photos with your friends. It's just you and your grandma. I think two maximum with grandma. There's no maximum. scenario where I'm with my grandma <laughs> I need to be photographed with her. It's like, that's a a peek into your life with that person. You're always (laughs) going to be with your grandma. This is killing me. (laughs) My God. Okay. So does the two photo maximum rule apply to they're wearing a full chicken costume in two of their photos? (laughs) I knew this one was coming. (laughs) No, there should be honestly, probably zero of the chicken (laughs) But if there's gonna be one, I would say one, but like you have to be at a party, like at a Halloween party. You can't just be randomly in the costume. No, like context matters. (laughs) I really can't. I have a follow-up question. Like, were they in different like scenes in the chicken costume or was it like they just took... I don't remember, but I remember... Like, it sounds like I'm making all of this up, but these are really classic things. Wait, also, <laughs> classic things. the guy whose first name was Peep, was he the one in the chicken cost? <laughs> I don't think so. Because that would be hilarious. That would be like, wow, you love chickens. Like, I do think like that sometimes people put themselves in their Halloween costumes that you can comment on it, which is fine and whatever. But it does need to be clearly demonstrating that you're at a Halloween party. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. You can't be in weird outfits like that. You can't. Yeah, I think I can't, like, I'm not even shitting on the Halloween costume. For a while, I had a picture of me dressed up as Pizza Rat and eating pizza. I thought it was hilarious. I got a lot yes. of engagement on that. But yes. it was, I didn't have it on there twice. <laughs> no, no. See, that's where, like, we're not, we, the social skills, like, something's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so the last one, their bio says, obsessed with ham. <laughs> this is like a heartbreak for me. Yeah. Is that all it said? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I feel the same thing goes with the questions. Mm-hmm. I feel like I would get in trouble for saying this, but I'd almost rather them give more generic answers if the question's like, what's a Tuesday night for you? And you're like, tacos. It's like, okay, that's fine. I don't mm-hmm. need a whole thing mm-hmm. where all of a sudden they're writing out, like, I'm looking for a spiritual, like, fit young woman to, like, take on my life with me. Oh and, my- like, I'm like, wait a minute. No, like, no, Jenna, no. I'm 100% on the same page <laughs> with you. I feel like when people take it so seriously and go so in-depth, I'm like, <laughs> yes, I want to know that you're taking the process seriously, but, like come on, like, this isn't the place to pour out your heart and soul and, like, your deepest secrets and, like, idiosyncrasies. No. And also, like, you have to understand that this is not, like, Christian Mingle or Match.com, which are, like, more of the serious, Mm -hmm. I would say, platforms where you write a whole thing of really what you're looking for. And I I think, like, the culture of Hinge and Bumble is, like, 
the answer should be cute, like could be funny, yes. could be like a little quirky, but not that quirky. Like, yes, there's a fine balance. Yeah. And like, I think sometimes when people say like really serious stuff, it can be very abrasive to me. It was kind of a turnoff for me too. And I was like, am I not taking this seriously enough? So I'm glad to hear that you felt the same way. Yeah. No, I completely agree. Oh my gosh. Well, this was amazing. And I cannot recommend that people get this book enough. It is so amazing. And honestly, if you're anything like me, you're going to just like fly through it in a day. (laughs) So can you plug where people can find you and your book? Yes. So you can find me on Instagram at Jenna Langdown. And you can buy my book on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, or like pretty much any local bookstore. Amazing. Thank you so much. I will link to all of this in the show notes. And as always, you can find the podcast at Interstates and Heartbreak on Instagram or find me at Leslie Nope, L-E-S-L-I-E-G-N-O-P-E. Thanks, everyone. Let's be exclusive. Subscribe to Interstates and Heartbreak wherever you listen to podcasts for more firsthand stories about the unglamorous side of dating in Los Angeles. And while you're at it, you can write me a love letter with a rating and review on Apple. See you next Sunday.